What are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. All season, and the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Chuck Oliver Show on this Friday. What were you doing in 1986? If you were Bush Hamden, you were being born. If you're Bush Hamden today, you're the offensive coordinator at the University of Kentucky. Oh, how precious I was last week when I was looking at Bush Hamden. And I saw the eight starters coming back at Boise. And I saw the five-star quarterback transfer in. And I was like, mm, will he leave if Kentucky? And then I saw he's making 275. I was like, he won't even like ask his wife. He'll, tell, he'll text her, meet me in Lexington. So I don't know if that's what he did, but uh, he's actually in Lexington and he is the OC. And we got so much to talk about. I want to welcome on right now from two four seven the Cats Paws, Aaron Gershon. Welcome, man. How you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your time, Bush Hamden. Uh, how did this, I? I know why it happened. He was making two seventy five there, and now he gets to coach <laughs> SEC athletes and make a lot more money and have a much bigger stage. But how did it happen? Why was he identified? And what do you think the fit is? What's the feel? Well, obviously, Kentucky wasn't hoping, first of all, to have another offensive coordinator search, but Liam Cohen, for the second time in three years, decides to go back to the NFL. And I think, uh, I, I just think that came down to him wanting to be in the NFL all along, and he got a chance to call plays in Tampa Bay, and that was that. But uh, obviously, when you go through an offensive coordinator search in February, it's a little harder than uh, it would be in December. So I think Mark Stoops went to a guy in Bush Hamden that he spoke to uh, this time. Uh, I guess it would have been four years ago now when he first hired Liam Cohen. Uh, this was the guy he interviewed. Hamden then uh, instead didn't get this job, goes to Missouri, has three years there under Eli Drinkwitz, and called plays the last three years, of the 20, uh, excuse me, the last three games of the 22 season, and they had three of their best games of the year. Uh, Brady Cook played started to kind of get on the track that he went on and obviously had a great year this past year. He ran for over 300 yards through for almost 800 um, with Hamden calling plays. And then obviously uh, Boise State this past season, uh, number six rushing offense in the country, uh, a thousand yard rusher there. Every year that Hamden's been an offensive coordinator, uh, 
you know, going back to his time at Washington, he's had an 1,000-yard rusher. So, you know, Kentucky's a program that wants to run the ball. They want to be physical at the point of attack. And Hamden has a long track record of having success there. So uh, I think that made sense uh, from a philosophy uh, perspective. And then, you know, keeping kind of the pro-style approach, uh, but as Hamden said in his press conference yesterday, making it more college-friendly. Uh, and does that mean Brock Vandergriff friendly? Because they're, I mean, the kid's already enrolled in classes. He's already got name, image, likeness stuff that he's fulfilling, and now he's got a new OC. Talk that fit, and I'm sure that he was asked about Brock, and I, I, I don't even know if he's talked to Brock Vandergriff yet. Yeah, I, I think he I think he got in here on Monday, from my understanding. Um, I, I, from what I've heard, uh, Brock is, is solid. You know, I think he wants to be here. He has some family in Kentucky. Uh, this was a place he obviously identified really quickly, and a big part of that was Liam Cohen. But uh, I, I do think uh, Brock Vandegrift's here to stay, and I think um, I think this scheme can fit him. I mean, again, it's not going to be it's not going to be a ton different, but what I think will be different is you're going to see more no huddle than we've seen in Lexington the last two years. Obviously, no huddle doesn't mean more tempo necessarily, but it does mean you know less verbiage in the play calling and less. Um, on the wristband and all that stuff. And I think with Vandegrift, you know, obviously he didn't play that much at Georgia, but the, the most we saw him play was against Kentucky. And what did he do uh, in that drive? He ran for 27 yards on a couple attempts. And yesterday, uh, Bush Hamden talked about wanting to or needing to have a quarterback that's going to at least run for two first downs a game. And I think Vandegrift's very capable of that. But I still think, honestly, there's a lot of unknown with Brock just because he hasn't played much. Obviously, he was behind Carson Beck, behind Seston Bennett before that. So I think, honestly, there's more known about Hamden and what he's going to try to do than Vandegrift at this point. Uh, we'll see. After spring ball, that should change a little bit when we get a chance to see him practice a little bit. You made a point there um, about the no huddle, and I had seen some of his comments talking tempo. No huddle is not necessarily the same thing as hurry up. And so he wants to vary this. Uh, How much does, and again, like Brock Vandergriff, like Bush Hamden runs the ball, man. Um, And that's got to be part of Brock's game as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think it, it will absolutely have to. And like like I said, we haven't seen that much of Brock Vandegrift, though. He ran for 27 yards against Kentucky on like two runs. So I know he has it in him, and I've heard he's had it in him from just people I've talked to down, you know, that got to see him practice more at Georgia and then got to see him play some high school ball. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, Hand is definitely going to want to run the rock. I mean, that's what he's done his whole his whole career. And then, what? yeah, with the tempo, I think, look, I think they were 40th in plays per game at Boise State and Kentucky. I don't know what they are off the top of my head. It was in the hundreds. I mean, we're talking not only would they huddle at Kentucky these last two years, they would huddle, they would have these long verbiage play calls that are more NFL-like, and it would lead to the ball being snapped within five seconds of the play clock expiring. It's sometimes forced to take those timeouts because you're gonna you're gonna get a delay of game penalty. So I do think they're gonna run more plays. I don't know if that I, I don't think they're gonna be Josh Heupel or Lane Kiffin, uh, where they're sprinting to the line and getting a ton of plays off and trying to go as fast as possible. But uh, I do think it's gonna be a, uh, there's gonna be more tempo than you've seen in the last couple of years, and maybe really in all of Stoops' tenure, when we all know that Stoops wants to play clock control. Uh, really try to win the time of possession battle. But the problem is Kentucky, not only have they not uh, run a lot of plays the last two years, they haven't really won the time of possession battle because they've been three and out or turning the ball over too much. 
ever so often, I mean, Kentucky's got a, a, a linebacker, and I'm like, all right, he looks right. Um, Josh Allen was yeah. one. If you remember Micah Johnson way back in the day, yeah. um, Juman was Johnson to me, like, that's an yeah. NFL superstar to me. Talk about the expectations for the kid. Yeah, that was, I think, you know, you look at their portal hall, and I think they did a pretty nice job on paper. I don't think any name was bigger or better than that one. Um, obviously, an All-American at Georgia two years ago, uh, you know, parts of those national championship teams, and from everything I've heard, a big-time leader in the locker room. So, you know, Trevin Wallace, who played really, really well the last couple of years um, at that inside linebacker position, is heading to the NFL. They had a hole to fill there, and they were able to get the best guy on the market for it. So, and the success both with inside and outside backers, really just historically, but especially, you know, under Mark Stoops. I mean, DeAndre, maybe not the NFL stars, and I think Dumas Johnson kind of has a higher ceiling, but guys like DeAndre Square, guys like Jaquez Jones, uh, guys like Jordan Jones, uh, they've had a lot of success at the linebacker position inside and then outside, obviously, like you said, Josh Allen. Uh, even Boogie Watson was great here, Jordan Wright. Um, a lot of different players that have had success. J.J. Weaver is coming back for his sixth year this year. So um, I'm really excited to see how he fits in. I think Kentucky defensively, front seven-wise, that's going to be the strength of this football team next year. you got, obviously, with Dumas Johnson, De'Aaron Jackson coming back and, uh, to play next to him inside. Deion Walker, who for my money is the best interior defensive tackle uh, in the SEC, he's coming back. Um, and they have a lot of... J.J. Weaver, like I mentioned, the front seven defensively, this Kentucky team should be really good. Uh, defensively, the questions are going to be in the back end. All right, last thing for you, and I want to know about expectations of the fan base, and I guess yeah. maybe it's linked to the basketball team because this – I looked at this roster and I was like, my gosh, look at all the freshmen, and I heard Kentucky fans were like, screw that. We, win, we want to win a national title this year. Um, what kind of mood will they be in at the conclusion of the basketball season? And then tell me their expectations for football. Well, I'm driving down to Auburn for the game tomorrow right now. So, yeah, this basketball team has – a lot, a lot of talent, but they haven't quite, you know, the, the SEC is a lot better in basketball than it used to be. This ain't uh, this ain't the old SEC in basketball, so it's been a tough road a little bit. We'll see what happens. But uh, I think from a football so uh, perspective, you know, the last two years went, were, were a failure at this point. I mean, I know Kentucky, like, going to H.J. Bulls at Kentucky is a massive accomplishment, and Mark Stewart should be praised, and he deserves to be as long-tenured as he has been at Kentucky, but, you know, the, the goal was to take that next step, and obviously the thwarting Georgia, I think, was a little unrealistic, but I think staying in that second hole in the SEC East or the third hole uh, would have been enough, you know, winning eight to nine games, uh, but you only win seven the last two years, uh, especially when 2021 that, or excuse me, 2022, they came into that year, picked uh, to finish second in the SEC East, I think third highest odds to win the conference only behind Georgia and Bama, and they, and they didn't, you know, they didn't succeed that year, and then last year, with all the talent that they got back, and then getting Liam Cohen to come back, uh, Devin Leary, who on paper, I think, was ranked the number one transfer portal quarterback, and, you know, it didn't go as planned, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and they've had a for the most part, I mean, especially in 22, have had really, really good defensive play. So, you know, the expectations are, again, to going to be to take that next step. And I think, you know, obviously it's a little bit of a different look SEC with the schedule being a little different, a lot of similarities. But, you know, you add Auburn, uh, another trip to Ole Miss that you didn't necessarily think yep. you were going to have to take. Uh, and then you have Auburn. So, 
you know, we'll see. But I, I think this fan base expects to win at least eight games, and I, I would agree with them for that. Have you ever eaten at Country's Barbecue in Auburn? I have not. I, have, I haven't been to Auburn since, you know, obviously Kentucky football hasn't played down there. Uh, oh, this, no. this is only the second year I'm traveling full-time basketball-wise, so this is my first time in Auburn in almost a decade. So I'm looking forward to getting back. All right, don't cheat yourself. Go to Country's Barbecue and get the banana pudding, too, okay? All right. Uh, Eric Gershon from 247. I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, All right. And appreciate you. They've got the Kentucky-Auburn basketball game. Auburn's different at home, like like as different as you can be. I don't think they've lost at home. Um, and so Kentucky, the lower-ranked team playing at Auburn, that's a tomorrow late afternoon, early evening thing. And if you're going, I don't know, I'll throw the mention out there. Country's Barbecue. Hey, you've been to Auburn. Have you ever eaten at Country's Barbecue? Not a long time, but, yeah, I ate there when I was uh, younger with my uncle. He's a big fan. Like I said, don't cheat yourself, man. It's that last little capper on the meal. They do a fantastic job, so it's always good stuff over there. So, uh, yeah, when you're new to play, the last thing I want is for somebody, like when you show up at a place that you're just not familiar with and you just punt, you wind up at an Applebee's. It's like, no, there's something to be had here. So, um, yeah, the country's barbecue. It's a couple miles off campus. You can find it's easy. Uh, All right, we break. uh, Come back. More college football talk next. to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show rolling through this Friday. I would tell everyone on Rocky Top or of a concern for the creamsicle and white that be lucky you're getting a game at all. <laughs> I have told you when a new coach arrives at a program, The spring game is an opportunity to connect, to bring back like the previous star to wave to the crowd, to let a youth from the community with some sort of challenge score a touchdown. Um, The spring game is, it's a marketing tool. It's an all day feel good. You're new, hadn't lost anything yet. So spring game, (laughs) heck yeah. They don't really want the spring game. They just want the benefits of saying we're going to have one of our 15 sessions have officiating. That's basically what we – and there are benefits to be had. There are. The fans want an excuse to come back and see everybody they had not seen for five months and won't see for another few months. They want that. But the coach doesn't actually want a game. The coach just wants his two-hour and 20-minute session. He just wants to have another practice. You have the game because you need to, and name, image, likeness, and – recruiting and all that some sometimes you really need to but there are still coaches who when given an opportunity will say ah just no spring game just this year tennessee's going to have a spring game they're just severely limiting attendance Ten thousand fans neyland stadium big giant hundred thousand ten thousand fans for because of construction which where's the construction in the south the west and the north side of the stadium, there's construction. Predictably, 10,000 fans will be allowed into areas of the east side of Neyland. 
Josh Heupel, if he's like most coaches, he doesn't even he, he would rather just have a practice, and that's him being practical, and you, you should agree with him, even if you want the game. And so they meet halfway, and he's like, it's not a big deal. I'll give up one game. Here are the two things that coaches will jump on when there's an opportunity to cancel the spring game. Either construction, which is why I said, be glad you're having a game at all. Kevin Sumlin, they used an NCAA loophole. Can't have a spring practice. Remember the satellite camps and all that? We had to have the you can practice wherever back in the day, but you had to have the game either in a stadium you regularly played home games in or within like 15 miles or 50 or something of campus. And so that year where they tore down like 90% of Kyle Field, they did a Gator Bowl thing on it. If you don't know the Gator Bowl, Gator Bowl has been just an important, like, very often used, like, city football games. And Gator Bowl got a lot of use. And then before the Jags were going to play, they were like, all right, we got to bring it up to NFL standards. So uh, they tore down, like, 90% of it and built it back. And, like, now we got a stadium. They did that at Texas A&M. Sutherland's like, no game. That's the like the 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 physical part. That's the the structure part. The actual football roster players, how are we going to do this part? It's all concentrated on the offensive line. Earlier we were talking about how only two two defensive linemen at LSU. I was like, well, they only have one, and then they got a second one. So they got one. Um and that they're moving offensive line. You can figure that out. And I don't mean to be casual about that, but honestly, if you're having problems on the defensive line, the result is that your linebacker, your next level, gets a chance to make a tackle. And if not him, then the third level gets a chance to make a tackle. You don't want to be limited on the defensive line. You want your guys getting work. You want the D-line, whoever your D-line is in fall, you want to get them work, and they're not there. You don't have them. Offensive line, you want them getting work. And beating on a guy who's supposed to be a guard, but today he has to pretend to be a defensive end. He doesn't know what he's doing. You're not going to get work. So that's not a perfect situation, but you can function. If you don't have defensive linemen, you can still function. Just means somebody else is going to have to make the tackle or you're just going to have a less efficient practice. You don't have offensive line, your quarterback gets hurt. So Will Muschamp one year at Florida, and I saw it as like, well, this guy's hurt, and this offensive line is like, no game. I was like, he doesn't want a game. And I get it. He didn't want a game. So, Josh Heupel, at least he didn't pull the plug on the whole thing. 10,000 fans. So, that's what you are going to get. Heath, what's swinging, man? So, a couple of things here. One, I was looking at the Georgia State roster because this is part of the deal now is that whenever someone leaves, the head coach leaves, the portal opens up for 30 days. We're finally seeing a couple of Michigan kids jump in here in the last day or two that might take advantage of the opportunity, even though... Uh, they did retain Sharon Moore, and most of the kids have stuck. There's at least some guys who said, hey, let me get in. Let me see what's happening. Yep. But the thing about it, Chuck, is those are programs that weren't getting picked over. You look at Georgia State, and again, this is why you tend to suspect maybe Sean Elliott, along with the family aspects, did what he did. You, know, you look at this, you lost an offensive lineman to Virginia Tech. You lost a running back, your starting running back, to Missouri you lose a cornerback to Boston College like I don't know good players like what are the odds of that that there's anybody left heck you lost a wide receiver to Auburn um productive players that are going to power five conference schools and so you just kind of look at this roster now and you say 
there might be somebody who would be that guy after 2024 who's going to benefit from the fact that Marcus Carroll is playing in Columbia, Missouri this year. They get the carries, and next year people want to come and uh, scoop that guy out of there. There might be that guy. But he's just had so many of these kind of players that they've found and developed into good players, and then they're moving on to that next opportunity that I don't know if there's anything left, whether it's to follow Sean Elliott to South Carolina, if any kid wanted to do that, or or whether it's somebody else coming along and scooping him up. Honestly, it looks like they've already been pretty much chewed up and spit out. If you look at the imbalance in what you're getting, like I said, South Carolina somehow, they put, they've lost massive names, at least names, and some really good players through the portal. They somehow pulled off a net positive, somehow. That is not really the case at Georgia State, and it's not really even a, a possibility, you wouldn't think. Um, you look at the players that they – you mentioned Robert Lewis. He was gone back in December. He's like, yeah, I'm out of here. I, I had a show out season, and they need receivers. I can play in the SEC. I'm out. Um, you look at who they're – and so that was, that was an Auburn player that was at Georgia State. That might be an NFL player that was at Georgia State. You look at who they're getting, and it's players who, like Dominic Thomas – he was a running back at Clemson for a minute, and it just never, ever was going to happen for him. He's not some – Zach Gibson was a starting quarterback at, or was a quarterback at Georgia Tech. Never, ever going to happen for him. It's a kid who was actually on the other side of his college career, kind of I've got to save this versus a guy who has emerged and shown himself to be an SEC player. Yeah, so just again, we'll, we'll see. Maybe there's some kids that could still be found, but it feels like the guys who had options already took those options, so – doesn't look like there's any kind of gold rush to be found now at Georgia State. Also, Arizona yesterday announced Dino Babers as its new offensive coordinator. Kind of knew Babers would not get another head coaching job. It's hard to do when you're his age to get another shot as a head coach to begin with. And obviously, things didn't end on a particularly high note at Syracuse. I'll be interested to see what he does with this, though, Chuck, because if you look at it, they lost players at Arizona, but they held on to the quarterback and they held on to the receiver, who were both studs. And we know that Dino Babers can throw the football. On the other hand, what he wants to do, kind of that Baylor-esque scheme, is not what they were doing before. So do you try and keep the quarterback in the system that's what he was doing best? Yes. Or do you put him in the Dino Babers system, which is not what Jed Fish does? So I'm curious to see what that looks like. But at minimum, I think it's safe to say the Wildcats are going to look to throw the ball a lot. Yeah, there. It's always any OC, and you have to get like you've got your offense, and that's part of why you got hired. Whether it's play caller, you know, you know OC proper or head coach, certainly you've got your offense, and and so all right, well that's why we're hiring you, comma. And after our current talented quarterback is through the program, uh, we will get into my offense fully. Uh, the first question from any OC or play caller worth the salt: You go to the quarterback. What do you do well? What are you comfortable with? What do you like? Uh, the I'm here and this is my offense and we're all going to do it immediately from day one. No, there is a, a not even a middle ground. You tilt towards the quarterback and what he does well. Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. 
They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. Catch the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show rolling along on this Friday and one of the biggest stories coming out yesterday. Folks, if it's the middle of February and Georgia State football is one of the biggest stories, it's usually not for a good reason. Uh, they need a head coach now and South Carolina needed an assistant and they have checked that box. I want to welcome on right now from the Charleston Post and Courier, South Carolina beat writer. It is David Cloninger. David, welcome back, friend. How you been? Not bad, Chuck. How y'all doing? Oh, we're yeah, we're nothing but blessed. Uh, let's talk about just the football part of this. Uh, Shane Beamer had an assistant go, I believe, be head coach at Murray State, maybe, and so they needed an, they needed an assistant and they hired one. Just talk relationship football. What Sean Elliott brings, just from the South Carolina program standpoint. Well, obviously, Sean was here uh, from 2010 through 2016, and that uh, coincided with the greatest run of success South Carolina has had. He was the offensive line coach here and was on those teams from 2010 to 2013 that won 42 games and won the the program's only SEC East Division title. So there was a lot of familiarity there. And that also is what Sean is a South Carolina native. He's from Camden, which is about a half hour from here, won a state championship there. And while he did not go to school here, he went to Appalachian State, he grew up a Gamecock fan. So a lot of familiarity there, uh, which made the move uh, a perfect sense. It was just kind of a thing of he's leaving a head coaching job to come be an assistant. So, but once they got all that hashed out, it made, uh, you know, just it was the perfect move to make. All right. So. Shane Beamer and Sean Elliott, um, we could talk big picture if you want to, but I think we have two coaches who did the exact same thing. Like Sean Elliott, he wanted something better for him and his situation and his family, and Shane Beamer's trying to stay employed himself. I mean, he's got to up the the, the level of his coaching staff when he can. Um, talk about the outside commentary beyond two guys just making personal uh, decisions for themselves and then their family because this has gotten a lot of attention. Oh, sure. I mean, you you don't see a sitting head coach leave to go be an assistant, especially in February, especially when that former head coach's program just started spring practice two or three days ago. Um, But this... It was always the case. I can't say that Sean Elliott ever went into any season at Georgia State thinking, you know, I want to get back to South Carolina. I think that getting back to South Carolina was always kind of that if this were ever to open up, I would take it, but it's not something I'm going to actually pursue. He was happy being a head coach. He was good being a head coach at Georgia State. But I talked to him a couple of years ago. 
and he mentioned that, you know, I think that maybe I'm getting to the point where I've taken Georgia State as far as it can go. He had interviewed for another head coaching job. Uh, I believe it was at Duke, and they hired Mike Elko instead. And it was a case of with the new realities of college football, specifically the transfer portal and NIL, a small school like Georgia State, it's always going to be behind the big guys. That's just the realities of it. And maybe he just didn't feel like dealing with that anymore. Through seven years as a head coach at Georgia State, his family still stayed here in Columbia. He was commuting back and forth a lot, come back home and watch the kids' football games and cheerleading competitions and that kind of thing. So I think it was just a case of, like, if this ever were to open up, I'll take it. And something opened up, and while it was an assistant coach job, it's one of those where you don't have nearly the same amount of responsibility as you did, and this is a chance to get back to a program that you've always loved. So, sure, it's very disappointing for those kids at Georgia State. If I played for them, I'd be very disappointed. But it was a case that he really felt that he had to make a situation that he had to accept, and that's why he's back here, and we'll get his contract approved in about half an hour. Talking Gamecocks with David Cloninger, Carl Charleston Post and Courier. Uh, Georgia State had, and part of the frustration, I'm sure, we saw, you know, the USA head coach go to be D.C. and, you know, Power Five. Uh, we see this happening some places. Um, some of the frustration is you sort of become a farm system, a feeder program. They lost a pass rusher to South Carolina. They had the receiver go to Louisville last year. Is there? And now all these kids now have a 30-day window at Georgia State. Do you think there is a former Sean Elliott player that would like to be a Sean Elliott player again? <laughs> well, I mean, there is, um, I guess, that uh, that what's the word I'm looking for? That has happened before uh, with yeah. Jordan Strawn coming from Georgia State to South Carolina. But at this point, I couldn't say anything on that. I, I really don't know. I'm sure it wouldn't be uh, a mystery uh, if South Carolina were to land a Georgia State player or two. But I can tell you also that right now, South Carolina is above the limit of scholarship football players that it has. So it's a case of like, well, I mean, you always want to make room for talent, but is there anybody that you really want and you would have to cut somebody else to get? So right now I think they're just satisfied saying you address the coaching vacancy that they have with a guy who's uh, familiar here and you'll proceed and go on your way and see what that happens with roster management. Well, they had room for 12 freshmen to get enrolled already, and so they're adding 20 kids, I believe, is the number from the portal, and that's actually ranked in the top, if you care. I mean, they're different ESPN, 247, whatever, but it's generally thought to be a top 10 portal haul. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell me how the portal haul happened, because... I was used to seeing the big Juice Wells and uh, the defensive linemen last year. I was used to seeing the bigger names leave the program, not like a cumulative gain for Shane Beamer. Uh, How did this happen? Well, it's a case of like they had to, uh, you know, get better. Was in a lot of areas where guys left, they had over twenty kids leave in the transfer portal, and while only a handful of them were actually going to play or were quote unquote stars next year, it's still a loss. So the portal's there. It's not going away, and despite some coaches still insisting, it's like, well, we're not going to use that. We're going to build on our culture. That's just not going to work anymore, and especially isn't going to work in a place like South Carolina. So they, as soon as everybody started entering their names in the portal, they started looking at other names that were in the portal. Because as you know, Chuck, as soon as that name pops up in there, they're able to be contacted. 
So Shane Beamer knows a lot of guys. His no. assistant coaches know a lot of guys. And they started to reach out and say, can we get this guy? Can we get this? Can we get that? And they were able to bring in some pretty high-ranking players. So now, again, who knows what's going to happen after spring practice. There may be a couple of guys who jump back into the portal when the new window opens. But this is the reality of college football now. You have to replenish your roster. And while you might want to keep the heart of your roster as high school recruiting, what it's always been, if this guy's out there, don't you have to look at him if he's going to make your team better? They hit a big home run with Spencer Rattler for two years. And it's like, well, that sent a message. That guy's going to be in the NFL next season. So it's like, if he can do it, you can do it too if you come over here to South Carolina. All right, so we've had uh, all the spring schedule set. They got, well, they're going to be one of the later games in the SEC this year. They're going Uh deeper into April. Uh, Talk about the fan base. Uh, What is the excitement level? Because, you know, usually you move on from a stud like Rattler, number one ranked kid coming out of high school, all that, and it's a little bit of an exhale, but they're legit. It's like everybody in the program, too, legit excited about the new quarterback, uh, Sellers. No, absolutely. And, you know, he was a kid that had a legendary high school career in the state of South Carolina, legendary. And I say that as an alum of the school that he ran all over in the state championship game. That kid is amazing. And so they said, well, you know, there's always that difference between high school and college. Sure. He didn't get on the field a lot last year, but when he did, he just made some of these razzle-dazzle kind of plays, and he thought that kid's going to be a star. He was uh, verbally committed to Syracuse before he pulled himself back out and uh, committed to South Carolina. And a big reason for that was that he was hurt for a lot of his entire junior year in high school, so nobody really got to take a look at him. But the coaches are very excited about him. The kids are very excited about him. And it's another case, too, where Sean Elliott was head coach at Georgia State with a mobile quarterback. And if he can bring that in as part of his run game coordinator duties, they think he can do the same with a guy like Norris Sellers. But, of course, it's the SEC, and unless you got like a Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow type, you're always going to be a little hesitant to start what was really a true freshman, redshirt freshman, at quarterback. So they imported some backup with Robbie Ashford from the Auburn a guy who's had a lot of SEC experience, and he'll be the guy too. And Shane Beamer has said, hey, Lenars gets the first snap at a first spring practice. After that, it's competition. So we'll see how it goes. I fully expect Sellers to win that job and be starting in August. But as you know, a lot of funny things can happen. And for the fans, despite coming off a 5-7 season, they're really excited to see what this kid can do. Final thing, just give me a commentary. Where is the thing with Clemson right now, the fan base the fan base vibe? Because beating them, that's always good to break a six- or seven-game streak. Um, how gettable does Clemson seem right now? If we just put aside the SEC and Georgia and all that other stuff, just South Carolina-Clemson rivalry, how gettable, how even-ish does it seem? Well, obviously, Clemson won the game last year at williams Price, But South Carolina looked at it and knew, like, you know, if Clemson's defense wasn't as good as it was, that game turns the other way. Bottom line, you hold a team to three field goals, yep. you need to win that football game. And it was just a fluke play that they scored a TD on defense at all. So, of course, you, you, you're never going to make, you know, ifs and buts and all that kind of stuff. But knowing that Clemson's kind of taken this moral stand of like, we're not going to recruit from the portal. First of all, that's false. They are trying to contact as many guys in the portal as anybody else. They yeah, they just didn't get them, yeah. Them. 
Yeah. So they're trying it. But, of course, when they don't land them, they're going to get up on this and say, oh, well, we're doing things the culture way. Okay, whatever, fine. South Carolina knows it's because they have to. You've accepted the new normal, and you can build a championship team in one year out of the portal if you're good enough at it. So they look at that and say, you can get back in to this rivalry. Now, of course, Clemson's way ahead in the overall rivalry. South Carolina will never match it. But in terms of winning year to year and having bragging rights, they feel that's definitely on the table. Right, checks, Gamecock fans. That's basically the message from Beamer and Dave Dorn to the Wolfpack and everybody to their fan bases now. Um, you got to be able to afford this stuff. David, I appreciate the input, man. Thank you so much. Not a problem, Chuck. Thanks for having me. Charleston Post and Courier. That's where he does his work. Um, that's what it is. We, you know, the Doran thing we know about, we talked about it. It's everybody. It's Brett Bielema. It's P.J. Fleck. Um, it is just direct, um, upfront conversation. Almost a version of, like, an, an NFL coach, hey, fans, we need you to be there at kickoff. Come on. Um, they used to play a – the Atlanta Falcons used to play a – tape of Jim Mora because Falcons fans show like end of the first quarter. Oh yeah, there's a game today. I guess we'll leave the uh, tailgating. Um, it was a rally to fire up the fans. And I thought that was kind of out of place. It's the NFL, but whatever. Um, that's now what it is in the appropriate setting, college football, but it's not about your fandom. It's about the checkbook and the ability to afford and and purchase and retain and etc and that's why like i said the big 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 names at least and some of them are production as well like if wells is healthy wow um then you hear some other stuff well he was at a private academy or a private school um you know lower competition big kid eh, not so big and you know all that's you hear all kinds of things uh but as far as big names big recruits Lie's been going the other way in Columbia, and it's interesting that uh, again the I think two four seven had him as the number nine portal hall, and so they got a lot of kids to replace with those kids. But just as far as what you're bringing in there, very interesting. South Carolina is able to do that. All righty, it's a Friday. We break. We continue next. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. I can't work that hard anymore. Not when you can say, his, hey, here's $500,000 to come spend nine months over here. I like you, coach, but I might get hurt this year, man. And all you got is a scholarship for me. And I still got to give those books back at the end of the year. In this case, got a lot of company around him, but in this case, Michael Boynton Jr., head coach, Oklahoma State. Um, and he's just talking about just the state of name, image, likeness. You can spin the wheel and it can land on anyone. And it happens to be the Oklahoma State head basketball coach. So it, it makes uh, the point that I did to start the show that Sean Elliott, he made a decision for himself his wife his family Shane Beamer and I have seen getting some degree of heat 
Uh, he should be ashamed. Um, you know, he set this in motion. He did Shane Beamer did the, basically the same thing. He made a decision for him and his employment and his future, his professional uh, well-being and, and going forward. And, of course, that affects his life with his, his family. So he did the same thing. That's what the kid's doing. He says, I got $800,000 just to go play basketball one season over here. It was Sam Hartman. That was Dave Clawson. I think Wake Forest, they were at Notre Dame on, was it senior day? I think it was. And Dave Clawson's like, I'm sitting here. It's surreal. This guy played at Wake Forest. He's part of the program for five years. More than 100 touchdown passes. And he's here for four months. And he's out there waving and got a flower in the frame jersey. And mama's there. And he's like, this is just strange, people. I've said that that is one of the casualties because I live in the adult world. I understand dollars and cents. Senior day was always kind of cool for me because everybody got it. Everybody who had stayed at the program, I'm a senior, I got it. Way back in the day, I was a big Bobby Crimmins fan, and they had a heck of a team in 86. Lost an LSU game, a team on a Thursday night in the tournament. Like literally every loose ball LSU got uh, that was a Don Redden team Jose Vargas um but I was a big Georgia Tech fan back in the day and senior day in 86 that team Mark Price was on it they had a guy named Jack Mansell that he got to start that day against Clemson and I remember being there that day and the reason it stands out is the first time I'd been at a senior day of a college athletic event and I was like why are they cheering for this guy and I found out later it's like the guy never ever played and I guess you become a crowd favorite, but he's like, no, we're going to give him a start today. And so Jack Mansell got a start on senior day. And then the first time out and he was back to his regular spot on the bench, which was either to not play or like 2.5 minutes per game. Senior day is supposed to be awesome. And now it's almost bogarted. You know, I said that I don't like to glom on to other people's declarations when it, there's a real emotional attachment to it. Um, that wrapping yourself in the flag, I was like, I just don't, I'm not going to glom on to somebody else's emotion. Senior day, you're kind of doing that if you're Sam Hartman and you're getting the same pomp and circumstance as the kids who didn't transfer from Notre Dame and do exactly what you did with a four. So I, I understand it. It's not necessarily a criticism. It's just an observation that see, now for senior day, it is a criticism. Um, that this was a special moment that really was earned. And for some kids on scholarship, this wound up being kind of the only moment they had. Just never worked out for them, injuries or, you know, whatever. And now that's all kind of muddied up. Why, like who's a senior or their last year right now? Who's that? And so if you're a junior and you're going to the league or that you just transferred in and you're out of eligibility, yeah, go through senior day. Hey, how's your Friday unfolding, man? Well, you know, I'm, I'm keeping an eye, obviously, on everything that's going on, Chuck. And uh, there's one story that we didn't actually spend a lot of time on here on the show earlier in the week, but it's a noteworthy story, potentially. Uh, you remember the college football playoff deal reportedly was extended? Seven. Seven five, and and like everything else, it kind of was pointing once again to right around the turn of the decade, around twenty thirty, twenty thirty one, thirty two, when when everybody seems to have their contracts all lining up to end within three to five years of each other. That hey, that's when we're going to finally figure out what the real game is. Everybody's playing for the future of this sport. 
Well, now the reporting, I, I want to mention, because a lot of people probably never heard of this thing, it's called Puck. The guy who's reporting for them, John Aurand, has done a great job for years reporting on business for the Sports Business Journal. I have no idea why they named their website Puck, but he, he just became their sports business guy like last month. And he's reporting that the deal is not signed, and not only that, that ESPN, and I'm quoting here, could pull its offer if the playoff, quote, doesn't get its act together. Translation, Washington State in particular, who keeps holding things up here, if you want to screw around long enough, you're going to force their hand to say, buddy, you're not going to get a nickel after 2026. You will get nothing and like it, or it's time to reach a deal right now. We are tired of waiting. Get this done immediately this doesn't get put out there chuck just randomly espn's not walking away from the college football playoff that's ridiculous they're not going to do that it's clear they value it as a property but there's there's no doubt we're 10 months away from kickoff and technically things aren't formalized yet they're getting real tired of waiting and i don't blame them yeah this is kind of real estate you know what is it called uh last and best um and whether they are serious about the walk away, the intent is the real point here. And we had mentioned this a little earlier in the week that it's a two team conference that is being transparent. They don't have any cards to play. They can either hold out and get two years of conference money and then get nothing or reach an agreement. Um, and, and you're right. He, he has the ability, Washington state's uh, president has the ability to, or AD has the chance to uh, hold this up procedurally if he chooses. Um, and it looks like it's starting to get a little heated. So a little bit right. of a St. Louis vibe from the Louis. NBA, Chuck. You remember that spirits of the St. Louis yeah. that got those TV rights forever. We, we, we want an, an annuity basically. Um, and we will go quietly now. Um, it, there is no long game here because it all winds up in two years. And so the immediacy of this, this is how I am looking at this, going that like you don't have the we'll wait you out option. Like, it's here. So, all right. Uh, it's a Friday. Heath, wonderful job. David, great job all week. Guest, everybody coming here, the listeners, I thank you all so much. It'll be two days of recharging the batteries, and then we're back with more college football conversation on Monday. What are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com.